0: Good morning, everyone. How are you? So I know 90% of you glazed over during the reading of the genealogies. Did you not? We're not allowed to lie in church. Come on. So what does the family tree have to do with hope? That's what we're going to explore today. Today is about having hope in Jesus Christ. And so Debbie asked you, where where, you, where do you have hope? So, shout out. Where, what are you hopeful about in this season of Advent, which are those four Sundays? What are you hopeful about? Go ahead, shout. Grace. What? Peace and love. You guys are being very nonspecific. Closer to Jesus. Closer to Jesus. Kindness. I'm hoping for some relationship reconciliation in, in, in different parts of my life. Anybody else? Healing. Healing. Civility. Civility. Agape. God's more of a student. More a student. Okay, so we'll go ahead, last one. Deliverance. Deliverance, say it, Rob. Deliverance. All right. <laughs> so every year in those four Sundays in Advent, we light the Christmas, we light these Advent candles, right? and we light today was the second one and we claim hope together we're claiming that that Jesus coming into the world 2000 years ago mattered then and we're claiming hope that Jesus coming into the world 2000 years ago matters now and we're claiming that Jesus coming into the world 2000 years ago will matter in the future And I don't know about you, but for me, it's much easier to claim that hope and the claim that it matters when things are going well, when my life and my plans are kind of rolling out the way that I want them to, right? Or it's also easier for me to have hope when I'm not consumed by kind of the challenging issues going on in the world. They are periphery and not really impacting me. But when they come, whether it be personal or I get kind of engaged in an issue of the world, hope becomes much more difficult. So here's, your, here's the participation part of, I want you to pull out your insert and um, if you can grab a pen, I want you to write two things down. The first is some place in your life where claiming hope is hard. Some place in your life personal where claiming hope is hard. Now the second thing for you to write down is some place in the world that it's hard to claim hope. Some issue, some something where you look at and say, Ah, oh, that's not gonna get any better. God can't do anything about that. Well, don't ruin the sermon. <laughs> So as we go through today, and as we look at the scripture and some other scriptures, I want to invite you to see if you could apply what we talk about today to those two areas of your life. Because I believe that God can instill hope in the midst of difficulty and maybe even hopelessness. So I found there are a few kind of umbrella circumstances that impact people's ability to hold on to hope, and here's the first one. The first one has to do with pain, brokenness, and sin from the past. All of us hold pain in our past, in the history of our families, in the history of this church, this church, even this church. You know, the first United United Methodist Church downtown, the first church was built with slaves, Yes. And this church was called the Methodist Episcopal Church South. But you know what that means, right? So, we all have mess in our past. But I wanna show you this picture of this guy. This guy is, uh, his name is Richard, and I'm gonna butcher his last name, uh, Valeriani. And he's in a hospital in Selma, Alabama. He was an NBC News correspondent from 1961 to 1988. And in the 60s, he earned the ire of both the Johnson and Nixon administrations for his coverage of the civil rights demonstrations and everything going on there. And so he's in the hospital there because at a, uh, at a demonstration in Marion, a white um, resistor, Brought a axe And clubbed him on the head And from there They took him to Selma And there he is Still working it looks like In that hospital Now the reason I, I, I tell you this story Is This is one of my best Friends Family Who hit that guy The assailant was a family member of one of my best friends. You see, the point is, everybody has a past. Everybody has a past, you have a past, your family tree has a past, I have a past. There are actions and attitudes and violence all throughout our histories. I mean, it's just messy. You know, in my own genealogy, I have, a, I, I have some interesting stuff. I've got addiction and violence. I've got fathers who deserted kids. And interestingly enough, my favorite little tidbit I found out this weekend, horse thieves. <laughs> Through Baltimore, then West Virginia, then out in Wyoming, horse thieves, which is, which is kind of cool. But here's the good news. Jesus has a past too. When Austin read all those, and we skipped a lot, you're welcome, of all the names and all the other things that we, his genealogy, all those generations going down, he has a past too of mess and of violence and of other things we would prefer not to look at. So there's, first there's Abraham, the father of the covenant. Now you remember Abraham's the one who offered his son up for sacrifice, right? He also offered his wife wife up on a couple of different occasions because he was scared to kings. That's a little bit messy over the dinner table, right? Jesus has a prostitute in his his past. Yes, Rahab, correct. And then um, then there's King David, right? King David had an affair. And then not only that, not only that, then he had the, the guy killed. So you can see that even Jesus' family tree was a bit messy. You see, the pain in our own individual past and sometimes the pain of our country's past and sometimes the pain of our church's past can hinder hope. That's the first one. So the second area that can erode hope, and I guess that if I looked at your number ones, this, there might be some of this here, is the pain of our present places where we don't have control and where we're suffering and we don't see a way out. We don't see a resolution to the circumstances or maybe we do see a resolution and we don't like it. These situations could be thrusted upon us or we could have a role in creating them, but the pain of the present can blot out hope. So just this week, I uh, sent out a message on social media to ask people what they want to pray for and areas of their life in which they were losing hope. And I got a a lot of messages, kind of uh, private messages, and I was really overwhelmed by them. And here were just a few. Health challenges, a couple's inability to conceive, concern about a child's welfare, financial instability trending towards homelessness, loneliness, an end to a marriage, depression and grief, the ferocious talons of addiction anchored in to people they love. You see, in these type of moments, there doesn't appear to be solutions on the horizon. We can say we claim hope when we feel hopelessness. It's a lot harder to do in situations like that. And I want to suggest to you that hope doesn't only hemorrhage when there's pain in our personal life, but also when it looks bleak for our nation, or for our world, when we witness what's going on in the politics and we're just like, eh, man, that ain't going to change. Or when we're thinking about the fracture that's coming down the pike probably for the United Methodist Church over human sexuality, we think, ah, oh, that's not going to change, right? Probably not. And injustices that we see all around the community of the world, how can we claim hope in that? In the beginning of every month, the medical examiner sends me a report with the names of the people who died on the street who were experiencing homelessness. And every month I get to see those names and those ages and those dates of of birth and dates of death. And I claim to you that sometimes I feel hopeless about that. 58 people have died since January 1st, the youngest of which was one day old. Sometimes when that comes into my inbox, I don't open it for a little while because it's hard for me to claim hope. And And I suspect in your life there's maybe an area or areas where it's hard for you to claim hope too. Our key, uh, one of our key verses that Austin read was in verse 18. says, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had engaged, been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. You see, this verse reminds us that God sent Jesus to redeem our past, to be with us here and now, and to claim a future that is bright, and that is with God. That's what we believe as Christians. And so I want you to bring those circumstances that you wrote down just a moment ago back in the forefront of your mind. Because I think there are some ways for us to live in hope in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of questioning and uncertainty. They're very, very simple. They're not rocket science, but they are not... Necessarily easy. So Proverbs 28, 13 says this no one can no one who conceals transgressions will prosper, but the one who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So how can we allow Jesus to fix some of the past stuff that we've got going on? And I want to suggest to you there's one there's one kind of easy way to do it. Maybe not easy. <laughs> you got to pull your skeletons out of your closet, right? You've got to drag the skeletons out of the closet into the light. If you have secrets haunting you that nobody knows about, if you've got secrets or past stuff that you've never dealt with or never brought to the light, it's hard to allow Jesus to redeem it. You know, just this week, I was at a lightning game and talking to this guy, and this guy had a really difficult past growing up. Child abuse, child abuse, Um, foster care in and out. His life was a mess. And he talked about this process of him holding this all in. Holding this all in. And it wasn't until he was in enough pain that he was able to reveal it to everybody and let Jesus redeem it. And now he is an executive director of an agency that helps kids. You see, when we pull our stuff out of the closet and let the light on it, God has the opportunity to redeem it and to use it for a blessing for the world. That's why we drag our skeletons out into the light. So that's the first way. Second way, Mother Teresa said this, not all of us can do great things. But each of us can do small things with great love. If there are bigger issues on your sheet that are draining your hope, I wanna direct you to Romans 12, 21, for it to be a signature verse for you, which says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if if it's not evil, but suffering in your life, it still applies. Don't be overcome by the suffering. Invite God into it. I want to tell you a way how a small group of volunteers um, after being a part of this place and being a part of Open Arms really changed people's lives. About four years ago, we looked around, and we saw a lot of uh, men go into open arms, and a lot of the services for single men in particular have kind of dried up in the community, and housing in particular. And these few volunteers got together and started talking about a plan. And out of that plan came something called Portico Workforce Housing. And these men created first one house and now two houses that get six guys off the street who have jobs and help bridge them to the next thing. It was, a, it was really small acts done with great love for the alleviation of suffering. Now, you might not be able to start an agency. You might not be able to start a house, but each one of you has a Christ-centered burning in your soul that God is inviting you to act on. I don't know what that is, But don't be be overcome by evil or suffering and find a way to alleviate suffering for Jesus. Now this last one is more hard for me. So a beautiful uh, friend and member of uh, our community recently found out he has a, a pretty heavy diagnosis and a fast spreading type of cancer. And since his diagnosis and and treatment uh, began, he has been showing me how to claim hope. He has been walking hope in a powerful, powerful way. He's been showing me how to overcome the suffering of the present and the uncertainty in the future in the way that only Jesus can inspire. When I met with him yesterday, he said, God's got this, God's got this. And when I walked uh, and spent some time with him and I walked into the kitchen of his kitchen, on that kitchen there it said uh, a little memory verse that they have and it's Isaiah 41.10 and and that's a beautiful verse. And it says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God, I will strengthen you. I will help you, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. You see, God can clean up our past and God is with us in the present, but God promises that in Christ, no matter what, we are never, ever alone. And so, no matter what you're dealing with on your, on your list, trust that you aren't alone. God is not going to abandon you and often God shows up in the form of people and community. So in this Advent season and beyond, drag the skeletons so God can redeem your past. When you don't see a way out, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil or suffering by doing good. And lastly, no matter what, remember and believe because of Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection. That God's got this. Let's pray together. I want to invite each of you as we prepare to pray to close your eyes and and turn your hands over with your palms facing up. And as we pray this prayer together. God, we invite you into the skeletons or broken places in our pasts. We ask you Bring them out into the light in a way that would be helpful and healing. Transform them so that we might love others in greater and deeper fashion. We pray to any suffering or fear or anxiety of the future that we have right now. We believe that you are indeed with us. And we can claim that you are with us because you give us your Holy Spirit. We love you. Be with each person. Help us to be the church you've called us to be and help us to love God, love our neighbor, love our enemies, and love ourselves more and more and more and more. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.